Matthew 12, 46 through 50. The scripture reads, While he, that's Jesus, was still speaking to the people, Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus has just given us a crash course on how to lose friends and win enemies. Chapters 10 through 13, or sorry, 12 of of Matthew. He told his disciples they were going to suffer for his name's sake would be delivered to governors, kings, and die for his name's sake. He he goes toe-to-toe with the religious elites, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And basically, he condemns them to hell for blaspheming the Holy Spirit and for denying him, the Christ. And now, Jesus, can you believe it? He forsakes his own mother, the audacity. I mean, maybe some of you mothers cringe to hear Jesus talk to his mother that way or or respond to his mother's request that way. And for Jesus, we we see all these events together and these interactions, and we see that Jesus' mission and his priorities are very clear. Eternal life is greater, more important than physical life. The Son... Jesus Christ himself, he's greater than Pharisees, than other prophets, than the priests, and even other kings. And now Jesus seems to state clearly that the spiritual family of Christ is greater, more important than his own biological family. Now Jesus doesn't have the family mantras on the wall of his home or embroidered on pillows. You won't hear Jesus say, family first. Or say things like, family is everything. Or family before everyone else. At least in reference to his biological family. And so this compels us to consider our relationships with Jesus. Or our relationship with Jesus compared to others, that is. Other earthly relationships. Which is more important to you? What relationships are more important for your children? Is it Christ before anyone else? Is it Jesus first? Or is it family first? Obviously, we live in a culture that idolizes the family. In fact, if you would say, you know, maybe Walt Disney is one of the princes of culture today, at least the influence on culture today and the raising of children, Walt Disney is infamous for saying, family is everything. And it's an idol. That I think even in the people in the church, it's like one of those permissible idols. Like it's okay to idolize your family. It's okay to put family first. It seems to fit under the conservative Christian banner, but is that what Christ 
shows us or teaches us in this passage. Consider your relationship with Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, a disciple of him, compare it with other relationships in your life. Friendships, family relationships, sibling relationships, parent-children relationships. We need to evaluate. Family first or Christ first, Jesus first. Let's walk through this passage. There's a lot for us to learn from it. First in your outline, I want us to look at the priority of Christ's family. The priority of Christ's family. Now, one thing needs to be addressed at the top. You'll notice, at least if you're reading from the ESV version, that verse 47 is missing. Did you catch that? It goes right from verse 46 to verse 48. Now, the ESV translators decided to leave it out because you'll see in the footnotes of your ESV Bible that verse 47 is not found in some of the early trend, or manuscripts. Sorry. Now, verse 47 uh, says this, and I have it up on the screen. This comes from the LSB version, the Legacy Standard Bible. Verse 47 says, Now someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. So it tells us the words of the messenger. It went from mom and brothers outside to Jesus inside. And so it doesn't really change the story much. It's kind of implied that somebody told Jesus this, even if you just read verse 48. He's responding to someone who told him this. But maybe that's why the ESV translators decided to, to leave it out. But whatever the case, I do want to point out something significant here. And it is Matthew's use of the word behold. Now remember, as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew uses this word strategically. He wants to show us something. When Matthew says behold, he says look, watch this, wonder. He's emphasizing something in the text. And in this this passage, we have at least two, if not three, beholds. I want to point them out to you. First one is obvious. Verse 46, you see it there in your Bible, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, look at this, his mother, his biological mother and his brother stood outside. That's the first thing Matthew wants you to look at. And then if you take 47 as God's inspired scripture, there's another behold there. The, The man comes into Jesus and says, behold, look at this, he's saying, behold, your biological mother and your biological brothers are outside. And there is a third behold in this passage. And you don't see it in the ESV translation. You might see it with another translation. But it's actually in verse 49. You'll see verse 49 says, "Here Jesus says, here are my mother and my brothers. I think a better translation of the Greek word there is actually this. Behold, my mother and my brothers. Which shows us an emphasis It shows us an emphasis. He wants us to notice something. At the beginning, he says, first, look, biological mother and brothers. The man says, Jesus, look, your your biological mother and brothers. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Behold, here, these are my mother and my brothers. It's like a contrast. Jesus emphasizes, this is these, this is is my family. You think, you think my family's outside? Oh, no, my family, spiritual family, is here in this room. 
Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He's trying to get them to think, and he's going to show them that there's a bond thicker than blood. There's a connection that's stronger than genetics. There's a relationship even closer than a mother and her child. And that is the relationship that Jesus has with his disciples. Look at verse 49. He stretches out his hand toward his disciples. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, if you think about Jesus' history, twice his mother goes looking for him. Do you remember this? Two times. First time was when he was 12. Do you remember the story? Jesus' mother, his parents are looking for him, and, and where do they find him? Find Jesus in the temple. And when they ask him, you know, explain yourself essentially. Why did you why are you here in the temple? Why are you not with us? Worried about him? Three days he was in the temple. And Jesus explaining himself, he said this. I must be about what? My father's business. Another translation would be, I need to be in my father's house. So in that account, Jesus shows us there's a relationship that takes priority over even the relationship to his own family. It's the relationship with who? With his father. So he shows priority there. Relationship with my father takes precedence. So the first relationship that takes precedence above any other relationship in Jesus' life is his relationship with his father. His father's will comes before his mother's will. Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will even, but to do the will of my father. His father's will comes before his mother's will. His father's will comes before his, even his own will. So his father has priority. The second relationship that takes precedence over his biological relationships is his followers. That's the statement that Jesus makes in this passage. It's evident in this account. He, he denies his biological family's request to speak with him to make the point that these people are his priority, his disciples, his followers. There's a greater spiritual connection here with these people than even the blood connection with his family. Now, I want to be quick to say that Jesus did not sinfully neglect his family. He was without sin. In fact, right after the temple account, it says that Jesus happily obeyed and honored his parents. He submitted to them. In Luke chapter 2, we see Jesus sweetly caring for his mother at his dying breath. He tells John, his disciple, this is now your mother, take care of her. He also, eventually, he opened the eyes of his family in salvation. They became Christians. We see them praying with the apostles in Acts chapter 1. His brother James became one of the pillars of the church, the leading elder in the church of Jerusalem. So his family eventually become followers. They eventually, his biological family eventually become spiritual family. And so the, the point of Jesus' statement here in this passage is not to neglect your family. Kids, you don't have an excuse now to go away and say, I'm not obeying my mom and dad. The Father's will, God's will for you, is to obey and honor your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But Jesus is making the point that his priority, his priority in his ministry is the spiritual family. I think it's important to point out here that shared blood doesn't equal shared belief. 
We know at this point that his mother and his brothers did not believe him. Did not know who he truly was. Recognize who he truly was. They were not in the spiritual family at this point, even though they were related to Jesus. I do want to make a point to you kids, kids who've grown up in church, kids who've grown up in a Christian family. You know, you may get your mother's eyes, you may inherit your dad's bad temper, you may get hand me downs from older brother or sister but you don't inherit their faith. It's not passed down in the genes or in the blood. You need to stop saying, kids, that you're a Christian because mom and dad are Christians. You must repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. You must respond to the gospel call and return from your sins. That's what repentance is, kids. Turning from your sins and believing in Jesus Christ. You must be saved. You must be born again, just like your parents are. So I think this is a good opportunity to point out, just because you're biologically related to, in, in a family of faith, you must take responsibility and believe for yourself to respond. God needs to open your eyes and open your heart to believe. So that, kids, you would follow Jesus even if even if mom said, I don't believe this anymore, or dad says, all right, we're not going to church anymore. No, no, no. You, if you, do, if you do have faith, you say, nope, I'm sticking with Jesus, and he's sticking with me. I'm following Jesus, even if my parents don't. That's faith, evident in the life of a child. You know, the chimpanzees know that at some point you need to get off your parents' back, stand on your own two feet. I want to call you children of parents to believe in Jesus Christ, to trust in him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That is very clear. So I want to call you children. If you have not repented of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ to do that even today, Now, parents, hold on to your seats. I've got an exhortation for you at the end as well. So it's not just for the kids. But there's a greater union, a stronger bond, a more important and permanent relationship than blood and genetics. It's the relationship between Jesus Christ and his disciples, Jesus Christ and his spiritual family. Behold, here are my mother and my brothers. What does it mean? And he's he's putting his hands out toward his disciples. So let's... Let's remember what it is to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? How can I know if I'm in the spiritual family of Jesus? Well, I have some points up here. We've gone through these passages, but first, a disciple responds to the call of Jesus. Jesus said to them, follow me, and his disciples did what? They immediately left their nets and they followed him. By the way, the sons of Zebedee, they left their nets and their father and followed him. They knew in that moment that the relationship here with Jesus is more important than even my relationship with my own father. Also, a disciple counts the cost of following Jesus. 
Foxes have holes, Jesus said. Birds have nests, but our master is nowhere to lay his head. Leave behind your dead. Leave behind your estate. Even be willing to leave behind your family, Matthew 8, 18 through 22. A disciple is one who loves Jesus more than anyone else. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Hear Jesus' words there. It relates to this passage today. Finally, a disciple takes up the cross and follows Jesus, willing to serve him to death. Jesus said, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Prepare not for an easy life, Christian, but for a life of suffering just as Jesus did, of hardship just as Jesus experienced. Sorry, I should have said finally now. Finally, a disciple comes to Jesus, takes up his yoke, and finds rest. We found this great invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A disciple, simply put, comes to Jesus in faith. And he follows because he takes up his yoke and he learns from him. That is what a disciple is. Mathetes, they're a learner. They continue to submit and follow Jesus Christ as not just Savior, but Lord, Master, King. So does this list describe you? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ. Of course, we see in the scripture we have the 12. When we think about a disciple, we think about the 12 men that followed Jesus. But actually, Mark's account tells us that there were more people in this house that Jesus stretched his hands to. Not just the 12, but he stretched it out to the crowd, Mark says. So there's more followers implied. I would say men and women who Jesus stretches his hands out towards and says, These followers are my family. And if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to hear this this morning. It's as if the hands of Jesus not only stretch out in this account, like historically you're thinking about Jesus, in a room with people, stretching his hands out toward them, but through Scripture, Jesus stretches his hands out to you, disciple. He says, you are my family. You, in this room, if you follow Jesus Christ, hear him say to you this morning, you are my mother. You are my brothers. You're my family. Does that encourage you? Does that warm your heart? Does that comfort you this morning? That Christ would call you family? What a privilege it is to be called the brother or the sister of Jesus Christ. Wow. What a comfort. What assurance. What love, what intimacy, closeness, the relationship you have with Jesus if you're his disciple. What unity, what a friend, what a brother we have in Jesus Christ. You need to hear this today, Christ follower. You may have lost your mother. You may have lost your father. You may have lost a brother or a sister. But you'll never lose Christ. He's a brother that is with you to the end, through the end. And you may have a crummy relationship, a bad relationship with your parents, or a bad relationship with your siblings, but you have a perfect brother in Jesus. You have a divine big brother. 
Listen, there's no one who loves you more than Jesus. Because Jesus himself said, there's no greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus did that for you. There's no one who's more loyal to you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's not a greater protector in your divine big brother. He says, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand if you're mine. There's no one more accepting of you. Hebrews 2 says he's not ashamed to call you brother. There's not a greater provider for you. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. There's no one closer to you. He says, I am with you always. What a privilege it is to have a brother in Jesus. For him to call you family. For him to be with you, even when everybody else abandons you. And you think, oh man, circumstances would have to be really bad in my life for my own biological brother or for my own biological sister to leave me. It could be the worst of the worst in your life. And Jesus promises he'll never leave you. He's with you always. Man, that's amazing. That is amazing. You know, Spurgeon's commentary in this passage, he, he just, he, he prays this prayer in the middle of his commentary. He says, Lord, let us know and enjoy our nearness to you. Do you know and enjoy Christ's nearness to you? I want you to know and enjoy it this week. Based on what Jesus says about you, if you're truly his disciple, he calls you family. And it's a bond thicker than blood. Wow. And so behold, look, Jesus calls his disciples, brother, sister, mother, and he shows that his spiritual family is his priority. Secondly, I want us to look at the proof of Christ's family. Jesus goes further to explain who qualifies for his spiritual family. He says four. Four. He wants to show us something. Look at verse 50. He says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now you look at that word whoever. I want to highlight both the inclusivity of that and the exclusivity of that. What do I mean? Inclusive. Whoever. Whoever means, well, whoever. Doesn't matter your gender. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Jew, Gentile, male, female. Doesn't matter your experience, your background, where you grew up, what your family relationships are like. Whoever means whoever. It includes all. All are welcome. To, regardless of your background, your ethnicity, your experiences, all are welcome into the family of God through Christ. It's inclusive. Whoever. But then there's this exclusivity of it. Jesus defines whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So the condition is not ethnic, but it is ethic. You got to be doing the will of my Father in heaven. Those are his family. Now, it's not that doing the will of God earns your relationship with him. I want to be very clear. Doing the will of God, obeying his commands, 
does not earn you a relationship with the Heavenly Father. But doing the will of God proves that you have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's evidence. It is the, we understand this is the result. If, if you're a child of somebody, then you will resemble them in some way. You will act like them in some way. You'll look like them. That's what God is saying. The one who does my will is the one that is in my family. It's evidence. It's proof. Just as children resemble parents, siblings look like each other, Christ followers will resemble Christ. And they will resemble Him by submitting to the Father's will and doing it. Look at that word, do. It's not just here. Not just enough that you would hear the will of God. That you'd be willing to come on a Sunday morning and hear what God's will is for your life through the preaching of the word. Not just hear it. It's not just think it. Well, sometimes I think about God's word or I think about obeying God. And, you know, I know it's always an option for me. No, no, no. Whoever does the will of my Father, the proof is in your fruit, the life, the conduct. Whoever, you know, we're compelled to action and application. In these words. So how do I know if I'm doing the will of God? What is the will of God? That's a good question to ask. I want to make sure that I'm in Christ's family. I want to know if I'm really his brother, his sister, his mother. So what is the will of God so that I can do it? Now listen, two points. God's will for everyone on this planet can be summed up in two major points. God's will for everyone on this planet can be summed up in two major points. Number one, God's will is that you would be saved. God's will is that you would be saved, that you would know Christ. Listen to Jesus' explicit statement in John 6, 40. He says, for this is the will of my Father. Here it is. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. That's the will of God. 1 Timothy, Paul says it another way. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4, through 4, he says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires, who wills all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you, not wishing or not willing that any should perish, but rather wishing and willing that all should come to repentance. God's will is that you would be saved. That you would know Christ. The only way to be saved is to know Christ. The only way you can know the Father is through the Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Christian faith is exclusive. There are not many ways to God. There's one. God the Father wants you to know His Son and be saved. And there's two sides of that coin in conversion. You need to believe in your heart that Jesus is God, that He suffered on the cross for your sins in your place. You need to believe that He rose again from the grave. And as a result of that belief, you confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And the other side of that, 
the sure result of true faith is that you would repent. You'll turn from sin and entrust yourself to God alone, following His commands. Have you done that? Are you doing God's will? Are you saved? Do you know God through His Son? Don't be like the Pharisees who look at the sun but can't see its light. Jesus is standing right in front of them, the Son of God, but they can't feel His heat. They deny Him. They reject Him. They're stubborn in their sin. Don't do that. The Gospel has been presented to you even today. Believe in Jesus Christ. Embrace the Son that you would have life in His name. God's will is that you would be saved. That you would know Christ. And, and secondly, God's will is that you would be sanctified. That you would grow in Christ. You would grow to become more like Jesus every day, conformed into His image. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Very clear, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctified or sanctification means to be set apart, to be made holy. God's desire is that you'd be set apart to Himself, that you'd be removed from sinfulness and godlessness, and that you would grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ, who was holy in character and conduct. Romans 8, 28-29 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to the purpose, or to His purpose, which is His will. We're called according to His will. And the rest makes sense, follows, as this is the will of God. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's will is that you'd be sanctified. That you become more like Jesus. And this makes sense. Because if He is your big brother, you'll emulate Him. How many of you older siblings were told by your parents, hey, you need to be an example to your younger brother or your younger sister? I tell my older sibling, or my older siblings, I don't have an older sibling, um, but I do tell my children, my older, to say, hey, you're an example to your younger siblings. And they are. How many of you younger siblings, I wouldn't know I'm an older sibling, but how many of you younger siblings did things like your older siblings did? Followed in their footsteps. Some of you are shaking your head. I'll never, I'll never accept that. I'll never admit it. But there are ways, ways that you imitate them. Maybe at some age, at least, you looked up to them and thought, I want to be just like my older brother. I want to be just like my older sister. It's natural. And it's spiritually natural as well. You know that? Spiritually, you will begin to emulate your big brother. You'll look like Jesus. You'll start to talk the way he talked. You'll start to think the way that he thinks. You'll start to walk in the way that he walked. You'll emulate Christ because, well, he's your master, he's your Lord, he's your king, and he is your big brother. And you follow him. And as you follow Christ, who is, again, sinless, perfect, holy, guess what? You'll grow in holiness. You will be sanctified. It is sure. It's the sure result of one who truly knows Christ, is that they will grow to become more like Him. You'll be sanctified. So if you want to know how to live in a corrupt world without compromise, look to your older brother. If you want to know how to love sinners without indulging in their sin, look to your older brother. 
If you want to know how to fight temptation without giving in, look to your older brother. Follow Christ. Apply his teaching and his tactics. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Jesus prays to his Father, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they're not of this world. They've been sanctified. They've been set apart. Just as I am not of this world. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he prays this, sanctify them. And the truth, he says, thy word is truth. The greatest means of sanctification is being in God's word. Not just being in it, not just hearing it, not just reading it every day, but applying it every day in your life. Jesus says, or sorry, Jesus, uh, John, his apostle, the one closest to Jesus, says this, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. There's a lot of people in this world struggling with a lack of direction, a lack of decisiveness, decisions, decisions every day, and big decisions. What job should I take, this one or that one? Who should I marry? Should I stay in California or should I move? Should I buy or should I sell? Decisions, decisions every day. Some as big as those, some smaller. But a lot of people lack direction and sense. Like, what, what should I do? Here's the first question you should ask. Whatever decision is in front of you, what is the will of God? What's the will of God? We know his will. His will is that you'd be saved and that you'd be sanctified. So before deciding what's better, you need to decide for every decision, what will grow me to become more like Christ? What will sanctify me more? What will keep me more holy in my life? What would be the decision that Jesus would, in his wisdom, encourage me to take in this situation? How is this decision going to affect my spiritual family? See, Instead of just thinking pragmatically, like only thinking about the money, or thinking protectively about the safety of my, of my biological family, think about your biblical priorities, Christian. And Jesus told us, how is this decision going to affect my spiritual family? How is this decision going to affect my spiritual walk with Christ? How is this decision going to affect my family their salvation and sanctification. Will this decision help me to be laser-focused on God's will, or will it distract you from God's will with lesser priorities? It is an immense privilege to be called the brother or sister of Christ, to be called a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father. And knowing Christ, being his disciple, is a priority over every other human relationship. Well, at least Jesus considered it more important. Do you? Is he more important to you? And doing the will of God, walking in his word, is proof that you're born of God and that you're in his family. So do you walk in the will of God? All right, here's my word to parents. The scripture doesn't tell us why Mary, Jesus' mother, 
wanted to speak with Jesus. doesn't tell us why. We know she wanted to speak with him. We don't know why. A reasonable speculation by other commentators, biblical scholars, not just me, is that Mary was concerned for her son. That Mary was concerned either for his safety or his reputation. And that makes sense. Again, Jesus was losing friends and making enemies. He had just gone toe-to-toe with the religious leaders who had a lot of authority and influence in society. Perhaps even, maybe Mary heard about the death threats that they're making on her son. And so it's reasonable to conclude that Mary wanted to pull Jesus out of that situation to prevent him from digging a further and a deeper ditch and getting in more trouble. And Jesus makes it clear in this account the salvation of souls is more important than the safety of your son. A saving relationship with Jesus is more important. Jesus' mission is more important than even his maternal relationship with his mother. Parents, I think Jesus showing us his priority to his disciples should remind us that our aim as parents, our goal for our kids, is not that they'd be straight-A students. Our aim, our goal for our kids is not that they'd become professional athletes. Our aim, our goal for our kids is not, to, not even that they would one day marry a wonderful person, even though that would be a good thing. It's not our aim and our goal that they'd become independent, productive human beings in society to get them out of the house at 18. It's also not our goal is that they would, we'd figure out a way to get them to live with us forever. Those are not necessarily bad things, but they often become idols that distract us from the primary aim and the goal. Our primary aim, our goal, our most earnest prayer for our children is that they would know Christ. That they would know Christ. And that they would not just know Christ, but grow to become more like Christ. To follow Him at all costs. We can't save our children. We can't open their eyes to see the truth. God does that work. But we can be faithful to preach the gospel to them every day. We can be faithful to tell them about Jesus. And listen, not just tell them about Jesus, but show them that we really believe. We really believe that He is King and He is the only Savior. Let me just exhort you parents, dig in a little bit deeper. Your, your kids can sniff hypocrisy better than you can hide it. They know when you say with your mouth that Jesus is most important, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, but your life shows that other things are far more important than Jesus. When the only conversations you have with them is about academics, athletics, hobbies. What does that show? What's most important to you? Parents. The most important thing is that they know Christ, that they'd be in the spiritual family, that they'd be disciples of Jesus. And so that's our prayer for them. That's, that's our aim, that their soul would be right with God. I want to be able to say to my sons, I don't care if you're an astronaut or a trench digger. I care 
that you know Christ and that you're following Him with your life. I want to be able to say to my daughter, listen, I don't care if you marry at 19, 38, or you never marry. I care that you're a follower of Christ, that you're a daughter of the Heavenly Father, that you're a, a sister of Jesus. And however long I have the privilege of being their mother and father, I count it my joy to preach the gospel to them and show them that I believe it's true. I believe it's true. Christ has my life. And greater even, i got to get myself this perspective, greater even than my privilege of being their earthly father is the privilege of pointing them to a greater father, the heavenly father, and teaching them to seek first his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I ask humbly that you would straighten out our priorities. I ask that you would not just convict us through your word. We wouldn't just feel this uh, emotional feeling, but that we would walk away applying it, doing your will. Lord, I just want to pray for, as, as you put it on my heart, to pray for the kids in this room, children of Lord, church kids, children of believing parents, I pray that these children would see Jesus Christ. They would behold him. God, that they would respond to your call in repentance and faith, that they would believe in Jesus, surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and follow him with their whole heart, whole life. I pray that they would know, and it is true, that Salvation is not passed down like an heirloom. It's not something that you just inherit. Something you must receive by faith. So I pray that the kids in this room who have heard the gospel before and who heard it again today would respond and believe. And God, I pray that we as parents would be reminded of just the priorities, even just for our children. Sometimes, Lord, we worship idols through them. Even, you know, beyond our children being the idol, sometimes we worship, we want our children to worship the idols that we worship. Please remove those idols from our lives. Help us to see them, to reject them, and to trust again Christ and, and show our kids that Jesus is the most important. Jesus is the most important relationship our kids can have. And that faithfulness as a parent is not just helping your kids make it to 18 or beyond that, but faithfulness as a parent is bringing them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord to show them, to preach them, and show them the gospel. Help us to do that, to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.